Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. Hey there, it's Gary Parish. It's Wednesday, January 20th, 2021. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Ion College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting, dodo birds, and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me in dead lag. We got to talk about Alabama. What in the world is happening at Alabama? The Crimson Tide, they extended their winning streak to eight games on Tuesday with a 105-75 as a 30-point victory at LSU. They took 43 three-pointers. They made an SEC record, 23 of them. John Petty made eight. Javon Quinterly and Josh Primo each made six. So now Alabama... 7-0 7-0 and in the SEC, in possession of a two-game lead in the loss column of the league standings. The team started 4-3, and now 12-3. and Norlander, do your best to explain how Nate Oates has turned Alabama basketball into Alabama football. That's really where this is headed, isn't it? This is we're seeing a, a morphing in progress here that is unbelievable. Um, I think you tweeted something like that, too, by the way. Um, I did. It's, listen, this has been... Absolutely incredible. Um, And what they did on Tuesday night amounts to one of the more surprising and impressive performances of the season so far. It almost felt like, you know, Alabama could almost uh, could almost name the score that they were that they were going to get there. So Petty, who, by the way, give a little uh, heads up here. I'm doing on the Thursday court report. I'm going to have my midseason kind of coach of the year, player of the year, top 10 nominees. And in light of what Petty did He's going to make that top ten. I think it's it's legitimate at this point. Uh, there's there's just no doubt about it. Uh, Bama's in control of the SEC, especially after what we saw elsewhere in the league last night. And and Nate Oates, he has had. I mean, it's been quite a journey over the past month or so. You know, from calling out Coach K, walking it back. Did you see what he said in advance of the LSU game earlier this week? I did not. He basically, or I might have, but I don't know what he you're basically about. said. And I'm going to paraphrase here. He basically said, uh, and he, how I'm about to paraphrase it. When you listened to the quote, it was not as dismissive as this. His tone was his tone was respectful, but he was basically asked about going on the road playing an elite top 25 team like LSU, and how his players would adjust. But there are no fans, and he said, "Listen." It's just amazing, Parrish. Nate Oates, man. He goes, listen, like, they just don't have fans in there normally. I don't know if it's really going to be all that different for our guys (laughs) this year. Like, you know, it's a big building and they're a good team. But, uh, you know, honestly, you know, they they don't fill it up. Um, So our guys have been playing in venues without fans. They don't have fans this year. It's not going to be that much different. I mean, it is unbelievable. And, again, he was not doing this tongue-in-cheek. He was not doing this sarcastically. He was just kind of trying to gently but matter-of-factly say, 
people in LSU don't care about basketball. That <laughs> building is never more than 50% full. And so it shouldn't be that much of an environment adjustment for us this season. He says all that and then goes out. As and I'm they, thinking through it, I don't think I've ever been there for a game. I haven't either. I've always been curious to go there. I've never been there for a game either. But I, for I've you, live for, close. You live close. Yeah, so I, I mean, I can get there pretty quickly. I've been there for a football game, multiple football games. But I've never. I don't think I've ever been there for a basketball game, which is odd now that I think about it. Yeah, that is actually you need to uh, you need to amend that as as quickly as possible. But anyway, huge win, um, and yeah, Oates just uh, continuing to be one of the uh, one of the best quotes. Here is here is one of the quotes. I just pulled it up real quick. He said, "Home court advantage is less than it used to be. LSU didn't have a very raucous crowd with us last year. My guess would be home court advantage is the same for them this year as any other year. <laughs> Come on, man." incredible and uh and then lo and behold they back it up they go in there they romp and alabama's looking i'm not saying it's a top 10 team i'm saying it's looking and playing like a top 10 team as of late and who knows maybe it eventually winds up getting there i put them in the top 10 of the top 25 and one i mean you know they still got some not great stuff on the resume a loss to stanford a loss to western kentucky but what do you do with a team that's just beating everybody's brains in because that is what they're doing right now and they're not just beating people they're beating people to death the past three wins they were 14 of 30 from three against Kentucky, 15 of 36 from three against Arkansas, 23 of 43 from three against LSU. So they've made 52 of the 109 three-pointers they've attempted in their past three games. Um, you know, 63% of their shots at LSU were three-point attempts. And on the season, 47.3% of their field goal attempts are three-pointers, which ranks 18th nationally. Would you believe it's 18th nationally, but only third in the SEC? Trivia time. There we go. Lay it on me. Okay, so what teams in the SEC shoot more threes per uh, per game uh, or per, per... Per what? Yeah, per, the rate. Perc- three-point rate. Percentage yes. of shots yes. from three-point range. A higher percentage of shots from three-point range. Um, before I answer that, would I be... I don't know if you have the, the entire list in front of you. Is Kentucky last on that list? I do not have the okay. entire list in front of um, me. Uh, definitely Arkansas is above them. Got to believe it, right? No. Really? That's Arkansas is not above Alabama in three-point rate. Um, this, is not, this is not something I'd lie to you about. Okay. Auburn for sure. Auburn is. Auburn actually leads the SEC. 48.7% of its field goal attempts come from three. That ranks 10th nationally. And then the only... Uh, hmm. This is... I'm trying to think of what other team... I'm going to be surprised by GP because if you asked me, I would have said top three Auburn, Bama, Arkansas, but it's not Arkansas. We know it's not Kentucky. I, I know I, I, Rick Barnes, if it's not Kentucky, Tennessee might be. Rick Barnes does not shoot threes. That team, they, they are, at least traditionally, that has not been the case. And it doesn't seem like it would be Florida. don't think it would be Mississippi State. My blind guess is Ole Miss and Kermit. It's not the answer. It is a, and this is, this should not be surprising given the way this stuff works. Okay. You know, is basketball, football people say football is a trickle up sport that things that happen at the collegiate level then start being implemented into the nfl even high school to college to nfl yes okay basketball is a trickle down sport it goes nba down things that happen in the nba come down to college basketball um obviously in the nba now percentage of shots from three-point range is a very important thing um so it maybe shouldn't surprise you that the team in the SEC that does this more often than any other team besides Auburn has a coach with an NBA background. So Vanderbilt's my first guess, given that. That's right. Okay. So yeah, uh, that's by the way, that's not working out for him right now. 
Vanderbilt's four <laughs> yeah. and six is the only team that has not won a league game in the SEC so far. But that does make sense now that you lay it out. Yeah, Auburn is attempting 48.7% of its shots from beyond the arc. Vanderbilt is 47.4, and Auburn is 47. I mean, and uh, Alabama is 47.3. Those are the only three power conference schools who are attempting at least 47.3% of their shots from three point range. Um, like I said, uh, Alabama has been really hot this season, but on the uh, really hot in this past three games, but on the season, they're, they're, they're shooting roughly 31 threes a game, making roughly 11 of them per game. They're getting 33 points per game on average from beyond the arc. And by the way, this isn't much different from last season. Last season, 49% of their shots were three-point attempts, and they made 34.9% of them instead of 35.9. The big difference, why was Alabama 16 and 15 last season, and Alabama now looking like a top-10 team this season? Last season, they couldn't guard. They were 114th in adjusted defensive efficiency. Right now, they're 11th in adjusted defensive efficiency. So they're still shooting the ball the same way, more or less, but they're guarding differently, and that is the reason Alabama has gone from okay to looking like a possible, if not probable, SEC champion. Yep. Defense is the big key. I talked about it on HQ last weekend, and they rank better overall on defense, slightly, but better on defense than offense so far this season. Maybe a game like this uh, brings more attention to that, uh, or maybe it doesn't because they dropped 105 and set the SEC record for three-pointers made, though. But, yeah, riding high, man. Have not lost since six days before Christmas, and at 12-3, and three, um, and with a, with a talented roster, this isn't surprising in regard to like the talent they have, Preseason top 25 top twenty five team in the eyes of some, but no one quite saw this coming. This is also the longest win streak for Alabama's program in 18 seasons. So, And they haven't won seven in a row in the SEC since the late 80s. So big-time stuff here. And I love, like, Herb Jones is a wonderful, wonderful defender, and he's even been able to step up and hit some threes this year, which I think is just one of those things that expands their dynamism overall and makes them a genuinely... Good enough team to make a Final Four run, and it's, sometimes it's hard for for us as as media people or even fans when like Alabama making a Final Four is like Texas Tech making a Final Four. We've we, we had never seen it before, so to envision it is something that can be hard to do. But I do think that there's enough talent on this team to be able to do that this season. Quinterly has been able to adapt well. Shack, I love Jaden Shackelford's game, and then Petty is is just you know. He's hitting, a, he's hitting another level. And the fact that they are doing this, by the way, not being at full strength, I think just deserves uh, you know, emphasis. No Jordan Bruner in this game. He's still out uh, for the next few couple of weeks. And even without him, they, they look terrific. And it just so happened that their big game landed on the same night when Tennessee put up a dud against Florida. And so because of this, as we sit here and chat, it's not just that Alabama's first in the SEC. Again, it's First by two games. LSU, Tennessee, Missouri, and Kentucky all have two in the loss column. Bama has zero. And now it's it's projected to win the league. Not a guarantee, but with the way it's been playing, I think it's a, it's a safe bet at this point. There, there's no debate about whether this is an effective way to play basketball, shooting this high of a percentage from three-pointer, uh, this, high, this high of a percentage of your shots from three-point range. It, it works in the NBA. Um, it, it has worked in college basketball, most notably with Villanova uh, a few years ago. You know, that Villanova team in 2018 that won the national title, 47.5% of its shots were from three. They made 40.1% of them. They won an NCAA tournament. Here's what I would ask you. 
Um, obviously, it worked for Villanova because they made above 40% of all of these shots. Um, at Alabama, the percentage is, is lower. It's 35.9. Is this a reliable way to operate in a single elimination tournament if the goal is to actually win four games and get to the NCAA tournament. Do you have any concerns about that? Maybe not because of this. And this could have been, uh, to a certain extent, it could have been the opponent. Um, of course, you can go cold and lose. So, yes, it's it's not, is it reliable? Because, like, no, in a seven-game series, no. it's like, okay, we right. had one cold night. In a, in a one cold night in the NCAA tournament, you're donezo. Right. So, LSU ranks 127 in defensive efficiency, and it just has not been... Uh, it hasn't been an effective defensive program under Will Wade. In fact, Will Wade, uh, he, re- he recruited differently from VCU. That's obviously putting it lightly. Um, but the, the defensive fingerprint, if you will, of VCU under Will Wade was way different than at LSU. Bama took advantage, and LSU is just not an elite or uh, even a very good defensive team. Um, so against better defensive teams in the tournament, it might not be reliable. I also want to bring up one other um crazy factoid stat about uh, the game last night, and this came from Jared Burson, who is a researcher with ESPN. Hap tip to uh, to Kyle Boone, not Kyle Porter, about this because he dropped this in our Strong slack. jaw. Strong jaw, Kyle Boone. Um, so, in addition to the 23 threes, Alabama scored 30 points on Tuesday night with attack drives at the rim and six points at the foul line. Every single point, this is you want to talk about, you know, ultra-modern, uh, and th- I don't know if this was explicitly by design or if it was just basically um, behavior in games and practices that resulted in this. Every single point Alabama made was either a three-pointer, close to the rim, or the foul line. There was not one mid-range shot that was made by Alabama last night, and that is that is taking, you know, the absolute fullest extent of of math, putting it on the court, and doing it. We have seen NBA, the NBA move to this aggressively in the past half decade, and now Alabama, at least in one single game, did it to maximum effect because your best shots, if you can make them, you know, a three is worth more than two, speaks to itself. And then you're going to have a higher rate if you shoot within five feet of the rim than if you are seven to 19 feet from the rim. And so you want to get your most effective shots as, as possible, no mid-range shots. It can sometimes make for a less creative game, but it can be for a more efficient way to win and certainly can help you guarantee. So in answering your question, if it can get close to mastering this, then yes, its chances of, of winning in the tournament are going to be great if it can be that good from close range and not as reliable as Tuesday night because we shouldn't expect that. But still, trying to hit close to 40% as a team, yes, there is something there. Yeah, now now in the NBA, the only you're not allowed to take mid-range shots unless you're Kevin Durant. Then you, then you can do whatever you want. But everybody else, you, we're at the rim or we're launching from three. Um, to answer my own question, I, I think – you can trust Alabama in a single elimination tournament playing this way. And the reason is because of what they are on defense. Like if they were just an okay defensive team, then I'd be a little concerned because you know, if you make 36% of 33s, you're probably going to be fine in most games. But if, for whatever reason that goes down to 20% in a 40 minute game and you're okay defensively, you're probably losing. But they're good enough defensively to keep themselves in, in games. They're good enough defensively, I think, to endure a cold stretch. So uh, I like this team. Uh, you know, I, I, I moved them into the top 25 and one last week, jumped them up pretty high after what they did over the weekend. And now I've got them 10th in the top 25 and one after another just completely 
overwhelming performance. Their next game scheduled is going to be Saturday at Mississippi State. And like I wrote in the top 25 and one on Wednesday morning, they are becoming one of the big stories in college basketball for purely basketball reasons. Uh, you know, earlier this season, it was because of a quote from the head coach about Mike Krzyzewski. Now it's because they're bombing anybody who steps on the court with them. Duke lost 79-73 at Pitt on Tuesday. So the Blue Devils are now 5-4. and four. Are they really going to miss the NCAA tournament? We'll get into that next. But first, check this out. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. So Duke lost 79-73 at Pitt on Tuesday. The Blue Devils fell to 5-4. and four. They're now 0-3 in Quadrant 1 opportunities. The best win is over a Notre Dame team that's 86th at Ken Palm. There is not much to the resume, and they've got some questionable losses. Norlander, mm-hmm. you concerned about Duke making the NCAA tournament? I mean, I don't have – got to be honest. If Duke makes it or doesn't make it, I got no concern. It's it's not something that I'm thinking about at night. Um, should Duke what, be concerned? What 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 are you thinking about at night? <laughs> Top three things you think about at night um, right now. Top three things you think about at night. I mean, it really it's on a night by night basis here. What is the, what are the three things you thought about last night? Okay, uh, last night I thought about uh, what the next song I was going to learn on guitar. Trying to debate what that's going to be. Uh, Salton's a swing, Dire Straits, never mastered it, kind of want to get in there. Um, thought about what we were going to talk about on the pod. Oh, yeah, I thought about that too. Thought about that. And and frankly, I thought about how glorious this day was going to be, because as we record this podcast, you know, we're a little more than an hour away from having a new president officially, so uh, kind of got kind of got jacked up over that. That was <laughs> you got jacked up over I, I, I got jacked up over, <laughs> over a potential return to a normal democracy. <laughs> Sorry if that's weird. What about you? What you think about last I, night? I think a lot of people were jacked up about that last <laughs> night, and it carried over into today. What did I think about last night? I thought about what we were going to do in the podcast. I thought about – here's the problem. Sometimes I can't remember what I thought about the uh, night yeah, exactly. This is called This is called a <laughs> cop-out, by the way. So <laughs> – that's fine. We can steer. We can steer right back into the topic here. I thought about. I thought about when I would be able to carve out a little more time to to complete season three of Cobra Kai. I thought about that for a minute. I don't know that I. I don't know that I reached a conclusion, but it, it entered my mind. I don't think so much at night. I don't think that's true. I, think, I try not to think too. I much. think you're thinking a lot. Um, so all right. According to Bart Torvik's T Rankatology forecast, after the loss. He's got Duke at 15.7% chance of getting into the NCAA tournament. And uh, it was significantly higher than that prior to the game. Uh, still under 50%, maybe even under 40%. But we are, we've hit that point here. You know, so we've, we did this phase with Kentucky, and we've completely moved on forever. And now we really get into it with Duke. I wasn't surprised. You and I both picked Pitt to win this game. We thought... It would, and it did. And congrats to Pitt, by the way. It's eight and two with a four and one record in the league. Jeff Capel is the uh, first player ever to beat Coach K, which is obviously notable um, in a in a game. Um, although I'm I'm sure he's not the first one ever. Like if he, if they ever played one on one, like you know, 
back in the day, but whatever. Uh, Mike Bray is the only other former assistant to beat Mike Krzyzewski. So that was a, a first-time thing last night, and Pittsburgh is going to be a team that I think can set itself up to make the NCAA tournament. With Duke, 5-4, and four, it's looking at its next game scheduled to be on Saturday against Louisville. That'll be an interesting one. But yeah, the wins are against Coppin State, Bellarmine, at Notre Dame, and then home to BC and Wake Forest. Not even close to good enough. If we started the tournament today, that would be weird, but Duke wouldn't be in it. If we started it tomorrow, also weird. Duke would still not be in it. It's got a lot of work to do, and we could be very well looking at a situation where Duke and Kentucky, minimally, in addition to other big schools like Arizona we know, maybe Indiana, maybe North Carolina, could all be out of this year's NCAA tournament. I I, I guess... I'm not surprised. I mean, I'm obviously surprised Kentucky is this bad, but I could have sort of envisioned Kentucky not living up to expectations. I'm surprised Duke is is this bad. You know, they returned two rotation players, so they were at least two players ahead for the most, I don't know, whatever you think of Keon Brooks, but like at Kentucky, but like Duke returned two high level, at least in theory, high level guys. They enrolled some high level guys. I thought Duke would at the very least be, a top 25 team and I guess they, they still have time to get there but you know they're, they're just not good right now like it wasn't even surprising that they lost at Pitt evidence being that you and I both picked them to lose at Pitt um, they've done nothing this season through nine games to suggest even for a second that they're a good basketball team like at least Kentucky has had a moment here or there where you go okay maybe they figure some stuff out I don't think there's even been that moment with Duke. Has Duke looked good a single game this season where you go, okay, that's what I thought we were going to see. I don't think they've even had that game. They, I mean, depends on your opinion of Notre Dame, but they did. They they performed relatively well at Notre Dame, and Matthew Hurt's been decently consistent. Um, so I think that's notable. Uh, but for they have not had a signature game for a win. That definitely hasn't happened. Maybe it can come because the biggest, you know, piece of optimism for Duke on Tuesday was the fact that you had Jalen Johnson come off the bench, score 24 points and have the best game of his college career and resemble the kind of player that they thought he was going to be more consistently throughout the season. So if that can be the case going forward, then yeah, maybe things can change. But, uh, for as good as he was, I mean, I, I, I you know, he wasn't even the best player on the floor. I mean, Justin Champagny was freaking terrific. 31 points, 14 boards. I, he continues to be awesome. Um, so even even in a, in a defeat where Duke had a, a star performance, they still didn't even have the best player on the floor. And that's just, for Duke fans that listen to this podcast, that's just something they're not used to seeing there. And so, yes, there's a little bit of an adjustment. Only thing I'll add here is that I'm not surprised by this. In the preseason, I was, I would have, if you told me one of the, if you told me, all right, we're going to guarantee you that at least one of Duke and Kentucky is not going to have a good season. I would have picked Duke. I just didn't think that Duke had the overall talent to warrant being a top ten team. I begrudgingly even put him in like my top fifteen. I didn't even want to do that, but again, I kind of had to trust the history there. So, did I see five and four coming? No. Did I see a season where Duke wasn't going to be like a top three team in the ACC coming? Yes. I didn't think it was going to be uh, going to be an elite team. And here it's it's a totally different situation altogether. And we'll wait and see if the greatest. Um, Greatest, you know, coach in college basketball history, arguably right up there with uh, with McCronin, can uh, can somehow turn it around and get him to the tournament. That could still happen, but we just haven't seen evidence that it's going to happen yet. Well, the best thing going for Duke right now is that the ACC is not that good. I mean, there's only two teams in the top 25 at Ken Palm from the ACC. It's uh, Virginia and Florida State. So Duke is down relative to normal standards duke is down relative to expectations 
Duke still might be good enough to win enough games in this league, even in its current form, to to make the NCAA tournament. For whatever it's worth, Kimpom has them still finishing 11-7 and seven in the ACC. And 11-7 and seven in the ACC probably be good enough. That'll probably get them there. But the idea that we are sitting here on January 20th reasonably envisioning an NCAA tournament without Duke, without Kentucky, I, I think you can say with possibly without Michigan State, possibly without North Carolina, possibly without Indiana. Those are some of the biggest brands in the sport that all could be watching the most unusual NCAA tournament in our history um, from a couch somewhere. Yeah, I, well, and if we get to that point, that's obviously going to become one of the most dominant talking points in college basketball when we uh, when we get to March and uh, we've got the tournament. Just a couple of other Tuesday night things. You've got Florida beating Tennessee pretty badly. Mm-hmm. Purdue upsetting Ohio State. Those were uh, USC also lost to Oregon State. That's a, a team that wasn't ranked in the AP poll, but I did have them in the top 25 and one. So those were some other uh, at least uh, developments uh, in the past 24 hours that are, are worth highlighting. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, good point on USC. So I had that. I had the quad box up on my uh, on my Apple TV ESPN app, which is extremely helpful this time of the year. And I had the USC Oregon State game on, uh, but just never had the volume up on it. So I I, I watched it, but I never you know, heard the commenting team and it was, it was on my radar, but not, but that's, that's a stinging, stinging loss there for the Trojans, which are trying to keep pace with UCLA and, and frankly now falling well behind and, uh, the Bruins there, Mick Cronin to the stock of no one on this podcast is leading the PAC 12 and is undefeated in that league. So that's a, that's a seed bump loss for USC. There's no doubt about it. You've heard it here first. As for the two other results you mentioned, I just got to talk about them real quick. Cause Tennessee, well, first of all, I picked Florida to win the game outright, so um, I'm not surprised by the outcome, but I'm surprised by the margin, absolutely. Florida is maybe one more weird loss away. Maybe it's coming this week at Georgia from being maybe the weirdest team out there. It's 7-4. and four. It's lost to Florida State, Bama, Kentucky, and Mississippi State. It's Windsor, LSU, Tennessee. I don't know what to make of this team. Um if we did a if if we asked Jerry Palm to to mock up a new bracket right now, I'm guessing on the strength of that win, Florida would probably be in the field right now, maybe just in the first four. But boy, oh boy, um, Tennessee, what you doing? Uh, GP, I think had you going, you know, like 26 and one this regular season. That's not going to happen. They're four and two uh, in the league, and that's that's a problematic loss. And then, um, yeah, just a quick note on Purdue, like Ohio State, I was pretty confident was going to win that game. Nope. Purdue was 7-5 and five GP on the morning of January 8th, just 12 days ago. And it was 2-3 and three in the league. It was staring at its next four games, three of them being on the road against Michigan State, a Michigan State team we thought was better than it is right now. An Indiana team we thought was better than it is right now. An obviously winnable game at home against Penn State. And then a really tough game against Ohio State, which Purdue already defeated earlier this year in December. If you're a Purdue fan, you're hoping to get out of that 2-2. Two and two. And maybe continue to tread water. No, man, Matt Painter just continues to get it done. Just four and zero in that stretch. They're now six and three in the league, eleven and five overall. And whereas if you did you know way too early bracket projections, you know in the first week of January, Purdue would have been definitely you know a bubble team riding riding the fence there. Now they're 
they're in. You know, they've got so much room to spare uh, because of the qualities of these wins, and they're going to take more losses, of course. But uh, I don't think there are many teams. In fact, there might not be more than two or three teams in the past two weeks that have done more to help their stock than what Purdue's been able to do by virtue of not just winning the games, but getting three road wins that'll be all logged as quad one wins. So that was a big time gain for the, for the Boilers there. Yeah, one note about Purdue. Um, I, I think this puts them in the minority. Once practice has started, they have not had to stop one time. They have been without interruption um, due to COVID issues. Obviously, uh, another notable result, Villanova played on Tuesday night. You know, beat Seton Hall. It was Villanova's first game since December 23rd. Yeah. So, um, you know, I I just thought it was interesting that as Purdue starts to go on this little run, they are one of the handful of teams from a power conference that once practice started, they've had no issues. Um, so, uh, A, tip of the hat to those guys for, you know, uh, by all accounts, living the right way and being careful. Um, but I think you can reasonably suggest it, it, it has an impact on the season. Like, they, uh, other teams have to shut down practices. They have not. Other teams have had to miss games. They have not. And now they're sitting here, yes, I agree with you, looking like an NCAA tournament team. The NCAA uh, officially announced on Tuesday how it expects the NCAA tournament to unfold. Deadleg, walk us through it. How is this going to work? We now got dates for the first four and everything else. Yeah, I was pretty close on my guess there. Um, close. You're I was bragging about being close yeah, now? Yeah, of course I am. What are you talking about? Yeah, I missed one day. Yeah, I did a good job. What are you talking about? Here's what we got. I, 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 I didn't see I you thought, guessing. I, thought, I didn't see you. I didn't see you. I didn't see you getting out there and uh, and and making it and and guessing what the what the dates were. What was that I, about? I, you want me to apologize for not guessing at something? I I thought we were working in a right or wrong business. Are you a chicken? I think so. Okay, <laughs> so um, it, we're gonna have selection Sunday on March 14th, and then the first four. I got thoughts. Okay, I got I got no shortage of thoughts here. Okay, well, well, guess and, what? And then this and then in a throwback, in a throwback, in a throwback to GP back in the day. This is long. This is like seven, eight years ago. You know where I'm going with this. He would he would file a column, and then like three or four times over like a five month span, he would just file another column where he wasn't done, and it would just be additional thoughts. <laughs> you, know, you remember the additional thoughts? I don't remember. Come that. on. I, I vaguely remember. If I, don't I text know Jeff you... Borzello right now and say, remember additional thoughts, he will instantly remember it. No <laughs> doubt about it. You would file another 400 word column and it would be, you know, I got some additional thoughts on that thing I wrote about yesterday. You don't I would remember? Do that? 100%. This was back during, you know, like the blog era. So it was just like, you know, I'm just going to drop a little thing in there. Anyway, I got sometimes thoughts. I, sometimes, sometimes I would have some additional thoughts. You often have additional thoughts. All right. I've got thoughts and additional thoughts here. Okay. So the first four is going to be on Thursday, March 18. I talked to Dan Gavin on Tuesday night. There's a Q&A that's published at cbsports.com that you can read in the app, or you can click through on the pod description. I'll drop a link in there as well. The first four is going to be at Hinkle and Assembly Hall. And uh, I mean, sorry, Assembly Hall and Mackey Arena. And uh, the reason for this, hey you, hey, you, hey, you were close again. I was close. <laughs> I was close, but I was wrong. The reason I'd asked him why, why not Hinkle? And he said, because all of the venues in Indianapolis, we're going to have like, you know, X amount of courts in the convention center. I've told, you know, they're going to try and get 20 practice courts in there. And then Lucas Oil is going to have two courts. You got IUPUI's gym, Hinkle, Banker's Life. All of those venues are also going to be used for practice schedules. And so since everyone's staying in Indianapolis, it made the most logical sense to play the first four 
out uh, in Bloomington and West Lafayette so that the other venues can be used for as many practices as possible, which does make sense. I tell you what, I think that this should be, and we'll have to wait and see how it all goes, but once we go back to a normal tournament schedule, first round on Thursday, Friday, I think that the first four should always be Wednesday with four games and just make it a day basketball game four in a row. We'll see if that ever changes. I think that this will actually introduce us to a, because I think what's going to be good about this tournament, amongst other things, is we're going to be forced to wait. For the past 10 plus years, we've had this deal where Selection Sunday comes, we love it, and then inevitably, you're either driving home from work, if you're on the East Coast or in Central Time, you're driving home from work, or you're getting dinner ready, and you don't even realize it, but the first tournament game has technically started on True TV, and you're trying to eat dinner. Like It just kind of sneaks up on you. This year, you're not going to have anything until Thursday, and, you're, and for the youngins out there, you're going to actually feel what it's like to truly wait for the tournament to start on that Thursday. And it's kind of a, it's a good anxiety. And I think that's a wonderful thing. And so going forward, I would uh, hope that this works and that we put all first four games on Wednesday. And then as is going to happen this year, all those winners will feed into the first round results uh, two days removed. So this year, every first four game on Thursday, the winners will play on Saturday. What do you think about that? I'm fine with that. I, 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 if I if you would allow me to change something with the first four, it would have it would be that it's all at large bids and no automatic bids. That, like if if you want to, hey GP, you can mess with the first four, do whatever you like. That's what I'm doing. I'm I'm pl- I'm putting the auto bids in the main bracket from the jump, and we're having the last eight at large bids compete in Dayton to try to advance into the main bracket. I agree with you. I asked Gavit this very thing. This will be the one thing I give away from the from the piece. Here is his exact quote on why they did not do. I said, did did you even com- consider oh, it? I can, in tell this you, I can tell you why. I can tell you why. Okay. Because they don't care about the little schools. They just like they'll, they'll eliminate uh, one of them each before they get to the main bracket. Yep. I mean, he didn't say that, but that's also. Oh, part I know of he it. didn't say that, yeah. but that's the real answer. He said, unless there was a very compelling reason to go away from the normal format, the committee wants to maintain as much normalcy as possible. We honestly, we didn't consider that we had bigger fish to fry. I think I can probably speak for the committee on this. It's going to be hard to do this tournament with the model that we're used to. Making change just for change's sake only creates more complications. We're trying to limit complications, right? It's a reasonable question to ask, but it's not the kind of level of detail that we've been focused on because the complexity of this enterprise endeavor is so massive that having some normalcy is something that we can embrace. I understand what Gavit's saying there. I appreciate him taking 30 minutes to talk to me on Tuesday night for this piece to just give a little more info as to what we learned and what we still don't know and what he can't say. But simply swapping out 16 seeds for at-larges is not adding to the complexity of this whole enterprise there. It would be way better. You'd have teams from power conferences, yeah, that have been, uh, you know, underperforming, frustrating, but you could also have Duke or Carolina playing in the first four on Thursday and creating even more urgency there. Um, I think it's just a misfire on behalf of the committee and the, the 16 seeds should get the privilege of getting to just play in the first round as it's constituted normally there. The only argument against this is that if you're a 16 seed and you win that first four game, you do get an NCAA tournament unit, so you do receive money for your conferences, and that's why you don't see more pushback is because every single tournament, you have at least two 16 seeds in low major leagues that are guaranteed to get their league's money because they've earned an NCAA tournament unit by way of a victory. So that's the only positive upside for it, and it's not an insignificant upside. 
Yeah, let me be clear. I, I I wasn't suggesting necessarily that they should do it this season. I understand where Dan's coming from. Like, hey, let's just let, let's let's change the things we have to change and leave everything else alone. So I get that. I just mean in general going forward. If you allowed me to tinker with the first four, that's what I would do. And b- because right now, let's be honest about the first four. It, it, it's four games, two on a Tuesday night, two on a Wednesday night, and on each night. One of them is interesting, and the other one nobody cares about. You're you're watching two sixteen. You're watching two teams you've never watched before. Probably, mm-hmm. if you're a casual basketball fan, play. You don't know any of the players. You probably don't know the coaches. All you know is that one of them is going to win, and then two days later, going to get the, the probably get their brains beat in by a one seed. Nobody cares about those games. Um, so, my way is just a, it 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 works uh, on multiple levels. It allows everybody who gets an at-large bid to be in the main bracket so that you get that experience of playing Duke, playing Kentucky, uh, playing Virginia. You know, you get a shot at something. You're guaranteed a shot at a historic moment. And even if it doesn't go well, because it likely won't, you still get that experience of day before the game, you're in the press conferences just like Duke and Kentucky is. Mm -hmm. You're, You're probably walking them, walking past them in a hallway um, you, you're practicing in that in that arena, and then you get to go on the court in a game that everybody's going to watch. And yeah, you'll probably lose, but one day you'll be able to tell your kids, "Man, let me tell you about the time I played against Zion Williamson and Cam Reddish and that other guy." You know, like you get you get a little bit. You have that. That's worth something. So and then it so it it I think it's awesome for the 16s, and then it creates four interesting games instead of two interesting games for the first four. The argument against it is the one that you mentioned, and I've actually had coaches of 16 seeds make this point. I'd rather do this because I'd rather go to the first four. A, because I've got a chance, I got a realistic chance to get my league a check, but B, I might can get an NCAA tournament win. Mm-hmm. Like, like I've had a coach of a 16 seed say, if I win that game, I, have, I'm, I am somebody who has won an NCAA tournament game. Like the details are, you know, they are what they are, but I can forever say, oh yeah, I won a game in the NCAA tournament. And that's worth something to them. And I think you're right. That's why more don't fight for it. Even if I wish they would. Yep. Agreed. Um, All right. Rest of the schedule. So we're going to have the first round on Friday and Saturday, the second round on Sunday and Monday, the sweet 16 as predicted by yours truly will be the following Saturday and Sunday. Those will be all standalone games, which is going to be a new thing. So normally the Sweet 16 is on Thursday and Friday, and you'll have two games in the, in in, uh, in overlapping windows, and you know in the seven o'clock window and the nine thirty window. No, this year the Sweet 16. You're hearing me correctly. Saturday and Sunday, March 27 and 28. Every single Sweet 16 game will have its own TV window from early afternoon into the evening. I think that's going to be a wonderful bonus for this year. Uh, Then the Elite Eight will be in prime time on Monday and Tuesday, March 29, March 30th. The Final Four and Championship game, as we've previously told you, remain on schedule with April 3 and April 5 there. Um, Just a quick thought on on all of that. More than just a quick thought here. Randomly, I've gotten a lot of questions about this, so I'll just address this. Uh, people are wondering if like Big Ten teams are going to be able to play in Big Ten venues. The answer is yes. No, Indiana, if it's in the first four, is not going to play at Assembly Hall. It will go to Mackey. And, and likewise, if Purdue is a first four team, it will go and play at Assembly Hall. But Gavitt confirmed that. And like if, if Butler makes the Sweet 16, those games are going to be at Hinkle and Banker's Life Fieldhouse. I'll get to that in a second. But Butler would be guaranteed to play at Banker's Life if it makes the Sweet 16. But... 
any other Big East team is going to be put in Hinkle, and if it is, it's just going to be a matter of filling the bracket out. They're not going to give any sort of special treatment. The, the, the opposed, the, those teams in those leagues are not familiar enough with those venues that is considered to be any kind of advantage there. So if you're wondering if Michigan is going to be able to play uh, a first-round game at Assembly Hall because it's a Big Ten team, the answer is yes, that might happen, or it could go to Lucas Oil, but there's no... There's nothing about that that is going to uh, to preclude those teams in those leagues with those affiliated venues. I've gotten that question like 15 times. So, also, the as as predicted, Assembly Hall and Mackey Arena, they're going to host two first four games, and then they'll each host two first-round games on that Friday and Saturday. Uh, Gavitt wouldn't confirm this to me on the record, but I had another source confirm to me. I expect those games at Assembly and Mackey to be in the afternoon unless circumstances force it otherwise because they want the teams to be back in Indianapolis at night where everyone's going to stay there. No site will ever host more than three games in one day due to cleaning protocols. I asked Gavitt if he knew basically how much time it's going to take between the end of a game and the next game to start in the same venue. He said, yes, we know that answer. No, I'm not going to tell you right now. You'll probably know it when we jointly announce our tip time template with CBS and Turner. Which Why they... is that a secret? Why is it a secret how long it takes to clean something? Hey, listen, man, I'm just telling you. I, I asked because <laughs> I'm curious, but he's not He's not giving, he's not not giving it up. So we're going to probably find that out uh, in, in February. Because I, I, I don't know if it's 60 people, minutes, if it's 90 minutes, if it's two hours. I don't know. But I don't, uh, I don't understand when people keep secrets that aren't worth keeping like the Grizzlies do this all the time. Like they'll like Jaron Jackson jr. Will be injured. And it's like, okay, well, you know exactly what the injury is. Obviously, you know what the timetable for a probable possible return is obviously, but they will never say it. They will never, they'll just, they'll just say Jaron Jackson's out until he's ready to play, but they will never, or they rarely mm. put a timetable on it. It's like, why are you being secretive about like a, a, a baseball pitcher has an arm injury and they say head surgery today was successful. He's expected back beginning of August. Like what, what, what is so hard about doing that? I always, it's like my friends who work with the Grizzlies. I'm like, what secrets are you keeping today about <laughs> stuff? That's really not that important. And here's one. like the idea that they can't tell you how long it takes to clean a court seems I, Unimpo- unimportant, I but also hilarious. I know. I, I, I hear you, man. I hear you. But I asked, and that's the uh, that's the answer that I got there. Um, so uh, I did ask why, you know, why, you know, Lucas Oil Stadium is going to host the Elite Eight and the Final Four, which we know it's not going to be filled with fans. To me, that's just a bummer, GP. Like, I thought that this was going to be the one year and the only year for the next century where we would have the national championship game Played in a basketball venue. Hasn't happened since 96. Kentucky over Syracuse in New Jersey. And uh, I thought that would happen. But I do have an answer why it didn't happen. So initially, the NCAA thought it was only going to get Bankers Life Fieldhouse, home of the Pacers. Thought it was only going to get it for the first weekend for practices and then for games. And then the NCAA went back to the Pacers. And it wasn't the NBA. They went back to the Pacers and said, is there any way that you would be willing to allow us to have your building for a second straight weekend? Because what happens is the the NBA hasn't released the second half of its schedule yet. And what happens is teams who own their buildings go to the NBA and say, you know, you, you obviously make the schedule, but here are the dates where we have issues that we need to work around. And so the Pacers went to the NBA and said, the NCAA has asked us if we would block off basically from, you know, March 15th until truly like March 30th to, to use the building. The Pacers said yes, which is no small thing, by the way. That's that's like a significant deal for an NBA franchise to say, we're not going to use our building for 15 days, but that's what's going to happen there. Um, 
I asked him if they considered, well, why, why, why not just go first round Bankers Life because you need the venues. Second weekend, the Pacers can use it. And then the championship weekend, you go back to Bankers Life. And it's the same amount of time that the Pacers aren't using it. Gavitt said, no, they didn't consider that. And he didn't tell me this, but we already know why they didn't consider that. They didn't consider it because they are going to... This is me guessing. I don't have this directly. But I'm using logic and I'm using the facts that are available. Lucas Oil Stadium at the end of the NFL season was allowing 10% fan capacity. Obviously, the NCAA wants to have fans in if it can. If it can safely do it, and Marion County health officials, the same people that allowed the Colts to have 10% capacity, they are expecting that the same health officials, which are working in conjunction with holding this tournament, will allow the NCAA to have to at least 10% or something in that uh, in the building. There's a huge perish, There's a huge difference between doing that in a football stadium and a basketball arena. Bankers Life Fieldhouse holds about 20,000 people. Lucas Oil Stadium has a capacity of just north of 70,000. If you up it... If the, if the pandemic gets better, still the worst pandemic I ever seen. Okay? The dumbest one. I've never seen one like this before. Okay, Even if it gets to 15% capacity allowance, the difference in people allowed in the building that aren't you know, media, people that are you know, players, coaches, all that, it's about 77, 7,800 people. And when you're talking tickets, potential concessions, however they're going to do this as safely as they can do it, it's a significant difference there. And so that's why it's happening. That's exactly the reason why. Because the NCAA, it's another way for the NCAA to be able to make money. I understand why they're doing it. Call me a purist. Call me old school. That's fine. Do you side with me on this? I just wish they had been willing to just say, no, you know what? Because there's nothing stopping from doing the title game in Hinkle. I understand why they can't have the Pacers building. But they could have had Hinkle if they wanted it. And they chose not to. And they're going to play it in Lucas Oil. Where do you land on this? they're doing what they have to do to make the most money they can possibly make. They're doing what they always do. What are you talking about? I'm not, I know that, but would you have why, preferred why, it to be in a basketball think, Why do you think even in normal times they play these games in domes? Oh, I understand that. Oh, yeah. Because you can sell 65,000 tickets instead of 20,000 tickets. It's a math problem. I know. So, of, of course, they were going to take this to a dome because even if you are restricted on how many fans you can have, you can have more in a bigger building. This is the least surprising thing of, of my entire lifetime. But what would you prefer if you had the choice? What would you prefer? I would prefer for them to play it in a basketball arena and 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 uh, and stop uh, tying itself so tightly to amateurism. Like I'd change the whole thing. I'd change everything about the NCAA. But you know they are tied to the way they do things, and this falls completely in line with the way that they do things. They are trying to maximize um, the money that they can make. Uh, t- 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 you know, in connection with the biggest event that they put on. I understand. Surprise, surprise, surprise. I know. I hear you. I hear you. I do think, we can move on just a minute. I do think that this year, um, like that, I think that Thursday first four, it's going to be like, you know, a, a really good cocktail hour with amazing hors d'oeuvres at a nice wedding. And it will satiate you before you get to Friday. Because a lot, the one thing that I got a lot of blowback on, or, or at least a lot of people retweeted with comments when when the schedule came out was, Oh, this sucks, man. That Thursday's gone. Well, it's not entirely gone. Like, you're going to have the NCAA tournament starting on Thursday. There will be day basketball on Thursday. And then you're going to get that. If it means that much to you to have weekday NCAA tournament basketball, I get that. Uh, You're still going to get it on Friday. And if anything, that might be the most cherished, treasured first round weekday 
in history after we didn't have a tournament last year. So I still think that that Friday is going to be absolutely epic. There's more in the story at CBSSports.com. I encourage you to read it, Gavit. Uh, he didn't give up a ton, but he gave up some stuff. I did ask him, for those that are curious about this, because I, I did have uh, a few people reach out, um, frankly, uh, you know, uh, coaches amongst others, because people want to know, what's the NCAA going to do about you know, if a team can't play in the tournament. And I'll have more about this also on Thursday in the court report. I, I, we'll talk about it on Friday. But I did ask Gavit, hey, do you guys have a plan? Even if you can't tell me yet, like, do you have your plan in order for what you're going to do if a team gets to Indianapolis and suddenly can't play? Or if a team is an auto-bid winner, fails the seven consecutive tests COVID-wise, goes on pause, then just like teams are going on pause right now and can't get there, like, do you have confidence that you will have 68 teams compete in this tournament no matter how you get to that 68 via forfeits and substituting in. And he said, premature to answer that. That is now what they are getting to this week, next week, the week after, and they'll plan to release that in um, in February. It's obviously a significant hurdle. They're doing everything possible they can to avoid having that happen. Um, to the extent where, how about this? When teams travel to Indianapolis GP by plane or by bus. Like every year the NCAA provides schools with charter planes, charter buses so they can they can fly private. But when you do that, everyone has to be six feet apart. And I don't know how you will police this, to be honest, but it is going to be an NCAA mandate. Uh, no one is allowed to eat or drink when they are on the planes or the buses when they are leaving to go to Indianapolis. They're doing this in an effort that if someone, I think, pops positive the contact tracing will allow potentially for the team to not be eliminated. You see what I'm saying? But it is, uh, it is going to be quite strict in terms of what the, the COVID protocols are going to be in and around the tournament. We'll get more into those details when we get into March. All right. Before we get out of here, um, over the next couple of nights, because we'll talk to you again on Friday morning, a handful of interesting games, not many, a handful, small hands. Uh, Indiana at Iowa, probably the most interesting thing inside Carver Hawkeye Arena. That's Thursday night, 9 o'clock Eastern. Indiana enters 8-6 and six overall, 3-4 and four in the Big Ten. They got zero wins over top 45 Kimpom teams. They're 0-5 in Quadrant 1 opportunities. The Hoosiers need a signature win. Do you give them a realistic chance to get one Thursday night at Iowa? Uh, define realistic. I mean, why don't you just Google realistic? No, define. De I, need, I need parameters on this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually give you the official definition of realistic. Uh, give me a percentage. Realistic is having or showing a sensible and practical idea of what can be achieved or expected. Doesn't sound realistic to me. <laughs> it doesn't. Sound realistic it, to you? It, Indiana winning at Iowa is not um, sensible. It, it is not a practical idea of what can be achieved or expected. I'll tell you this. They ain't done nothing all season that would make you think it's practical or sensible to expect them to win at Iowa, but it is college basketball, so you never know. You never know. Not expecting it. This would be maybe the biggest win of Archie Miller's Indiana career if he pulled it off, considering the circumstance of the program right now and how good Iowa is and how well Iowa has been playing as of late. Luca Garza is still the front runner, uh, leading candidate in my eyes to win National Player of the Year. So, yeah, I mean, I'm an, I'll be watching and plenty interested. Um, that's probably the most riveting game. Riveting is overboard, actually. Intriguing. Maybe even that's too much. 
The game that you might want to give some rubberneck treatment to, Indiana at Iowa uh, on Thursday, I think is uh, is a good one there. Cause I'm L- actually interested in it because this is what interests me in, in any college basketball season. The teams that weren't supposed to be good, mm. that are great, and the teams that were supposed to be good that are struggling, especially when those teams are big brands with passionate fan bases that start hashtags like fire Archie, because <laughs> that, that gets tweeted at in my direction after every Indiana loss. Um, so I'm actually genuinely interested in this because, you know, Iowa is about what we expected them to be, but Indiana was, you know, I had a preseason top 25 and they aren't bad. They aren't bad. They just don't uh-huh. win. They just don't beat good teams, but they're not bad. They just don't win games. I, I know that sounds like like it contradicts each other, but I think it's actually true. They're a they're a not bad team that for whatever reason can't win games often enough. I hear you. Um, that's the most intriguing one. Uh, USC at Stanford. Stanford needs that. That's a five o'clock tip on FS1 on Thursday. Just it's, Stanford needs to get that kind of win if it wants to build an NCAA tournament resume. I don't know. The Pac-12 is definitely going to get at least four in. It's got a chance for six, but if it's going to get six, one of them is going to have to be Stanford, and you win a home game against, I say home game. They're playing in Santa Cruz. They're still not allowed to play in their own freaking county at this point. That's an important one. And then uh, I just want to give love to a Mountain West tip here. Colorado State, Utah State, it's late on Thursday, 11 o'clock, FS1. Both those teams are teams we've talked about on CBS Sports HQ recently. Colorado State's 10-3. and It just lost at Utah State on Tuesday. It's got a good opportunity here. Utah State's 12-3, and yet to lose in the Mountain West, 9-0, and clearly tracking toward an NCAA tournament bid. And the Mountain West, Utah State, Boise State, Colorado State, those are the three that are really competing for it. San Diego State's probably slipped a little too much there. We'll keep an eye. But... Give a little love to teams out in the mountain range there. Craig Smith at Utah State's uh, certainly done a wonderful job. Nico Medved at Colorado State as well. So in addition to the the Indiana-Iowa game will command the most attention. Uh, but, you know, the Rams of, of CSU and the Aggies of Utah State both uh, trying to vie to get themselves in a position to, to have at-large consideration, and that's a big one for Colorado State. Do you know why Carver Hawkeye Arena is named Carver Hawkeye Arena? Have you ever even thought about it? Um, that's, uh, yeah, no, I, I, I know that. I know the answer to that. That's, uh, that's Carver Hawkeye. He, um, he, I believe, uh, I think he was in his teen years when Tony Hinkle was two years old. Carver Hawkeye was a, a very <laughs> famous, he was a very famous, you know, he didn't make a lot of, uh, a lot of inroads in basketball, but, but people don't realize, um, I was, I was squash team in the late 1800s. Magnificent. Dominant. Some might even say, you know, on the level of a dynasty. Uh, Carver Hawkeye, very famous squash coach in the late 1800s. Um, None of that is true. It's a weird name. Usually you get an arena named after a person, right? Uh, John Paul Jones Arena. Or you get an arena named after, like, your, you know, Tiger Stadium. You don't really usually get a name plus the mascot. Like, if it was... Uh, John Paul Jones Cavalier Arena. You don't really get that. Well, no, that I mean, the what, Hawkeyes are named after Carver Hawkeye, right? No, the the, the, the Hawkeyes are named after Haw- just Hawkeye. And, and then Carver is Roy J. Carver. You, you don't remember Roy J.? <laughs> I, I think Roy J uh, became Carver Hawkeye again once he once he <laughs> what, became what of legal Roy age. <laughs> changed his what name to Roy, Carver Hawkeye. What if Roy J Carver, Carver actually changed his name to Carver Hawkeye? So when I, you introduced him, you'd be like, "Hey, I, I'm uh, 
I'm Gary Parrish. It's nice to see you. He'd say I'm Carver Hawkeye. <laughs> that, that's First a cool of all, it's a badass name. Okay. Carver Hawkeye yeah, is a great no name. He was an industrialist, and he started the Carver Pump Factory. I learned all this last night. He donated $9.2 million just before he died in 1981, died of a heart attack in Spain at the age of 71. And for that $9.2 million, he's had his name on that building um, ever since. That's pretty good value. <laughs> I guess Isn't so. I, I, we're talking about him now, so you're damn right it's good value. Unfortunately, Roy J. never got to walk inside Carver Hawkeye. It didn't open until after he was dead. That's a damn shame. Moment of silence for Roy J., a.k.a. Carver Hawkeye. We miss you, man. Been missing you. Been missing you a lot. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry M.F. and Teagle. Legend. Shouts to Larnell. Thank you guys for listening once again to the Iron College Basketball Podcast. In the middle of the worst, woo, the dumbest, most idiotic pandemic of my lifetime. I, I swear, I ain't never seen one like this. I ain't, I ain't never, I never seen one like this. I never see, I never even thought I'd see one like this. Crazy, the craziest, insane, dumbest. New, I never seen anything. New like president this. in thirty-one minutes. I uh. I never seen one like this in Orlando. Although, hey, good news. I got my mother a, a vaccine appointment, got my father a vaccine appointment, got my wife a vaccine appointment all for next week. So that's good news, huh? That's right. That's good news. Huge that's news. That's good news. We're gonna talk to you again on Friday. Till then, take care. <laughs>